Well, if you've ever woken up in the South Carolina low country and stepped outside uh, to see the sunrise, you may have also seen the giant web of a banana spider glistening in the sunlight. My experience with banana spiders is a little less majestic as, um, and has given me some empathy for uh, their victims. Um, as a fisherman, I know that uh, fishing is often its best at dawn's early light. And so from time to time, I have found myself face-to-face uh, -face with banana spiders trekking through the woods in the dark, uh, clinging to my face and covering my head like a hairnet. In some ways, I believe that spider webs are analogous to our human experience. Perhaps like me, over the past several years, especially over the last few months and weeks, you may have found yourself somewhat trapped in a web of questions as you process the escalation of violence in our country and what seems a never-ending assault from the political guile uh, transmitted to us uh, from media outlets and from social media. As a grown-up, many questions seem simple, and others are hard with dangerous and potentially life-altering complexity. Like the spider's web, every question is connected to every other question. Trapped in the web of questions, wrestling to find answers, it's difficult not to become more and more ensnared emotionally and intellectually and spiritually by the struggle with the questions. Many like to talk about free will, the idea that a person is capable, responsible, and accountable to answer life's web of questions, rightly or wrongly, to sin or not to sin, to believe in Jesus or not to believe in Jesus, using only the unaided power of the mind and reason. But the real question this morning is not a question of the will, but a question of darkness and light. In the absence of light, we are trapped. In the broad daylight, we can see and navigate around the web's dangers. In darkness, we are blind and can easily become tangled up in this web of questions. In dark times like these, hard questions complicate easy questions, and easy questions complicate hard questions. Many of the questions that we face are moral questions that demand immediate answers and action, but bound up in complexity, pandemic isolation, and immobility, all that seems produced are emotional entanglements like anger, frustration, depression, and apathy. If you've come here this morning tangled up with questions and bound with fear and uncertainty, today is a good day. In the church calendar, we're in the season of epiphany, and the lectionary schedule is full of light. This morning we're here again in the Gospel of John. I would just say that if you ever find yourself in darkness, read the Gospel of John. 
This Apostle John, the youngest of Jesus' disciples, the author of Revelation, who humbly only ever refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, begins and frames his entire gospel around the answer to one question. Who is this light? Beginning in verse 1, John establishes the answer with a litany of testimonies, all bearing witness to the answer to this question upon which all believers will lay all other answers to all other questions. Before looking closely at John chapter 1 verses 43 to 51, I want to spend a little time highlighting some very important features of John's gospel that emerge right from the onset in chapter 1 and form the basis for this movement of light that we're a part of. Before Jesus calls his disciples, before beginning his public ministry of teaching, before he performs his first miracle at Cana in the next chapter, John starts his gospel with four with a four-day litany of testimonies. Well, what is a testimony? Think about it in terms of a courtroom and a trial. A testimony is the true first-hand account of eyewitnesses. Not a secret or something private, but something that must be shared with others. The testimony of a Christian is the first-hand account of the surprise appearance of light in darkness. It's the epiphany that we all experience when we come to faith in Christ, when what was before darkness becomes light. John begins his gospel pointing directly to this light. Of Jesus, he says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we are in darkness, trapped by the web of questions, John wants us to see that there is a light that can break the web and set us free. In John chapter 20, verse 31, the gospel's purpose is clear. When John writes, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, John has given us this living word, as alive today as it was before creation, as alive as it was when John put pen to paper, so that even as cold as it is this morning, and as dark as these times may seem, we may see the light, may hear as we will in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus saying to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's at stake is life. This may seem like a protracted introduction, but I want to look back at chapter 1. 
to be clear about these three important features that I see of testimony. There are more, um, but this is my best attempt at trying to extract some for you that might be of some value. First, in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, the light is the source of testimony. And it's a source that some will see and some will not. It says, there is a person who is the word of God, who is God, who is the creator, who is life and who is light. And God sent a man named John to bear witness to God's people that this light was coming. And the light came in the flesh, but God's people rejected it. Others received it. And to those who saw the light, they were reborn as children of God. And he set them free from the judgment of the law with grace upon grace. It says the light was the glory of God as of the only Son from the Father. Who is this light? John proclaims Jesus Christ, the anointed king foretold in Scripture, the Savior who would restore the fortunes of God's people. The second attribute or feature of testimonies that I want to draw to your attention is found in the second portion of chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Seeing the light is the substance of our testimony. We have no testimony without seeing. We have no new life without seeing. In the light there is seeing and being seen, being found and finding, being known and knowing. One day the religious leaders and the lawyers came from Jerusalem asking John the Baptist, who are you? And dispelling any uncertainty for his disciples, he responds, I am not the Christ. I am not a prophet. I am just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, in darkness, John the Baptist is calling God's people to repent because the light is coming. On day two, the light appeared and Jesus came toward John the Baptist and he saw him. John saw him for the first time, the one he was waiting for, preparing for, hoping for. And he proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paraphrasing, John the Baptist is saying, look, he is the light. The one I've been teaching you about in Isaiah 53, who will be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, the sacrifice that will set us free from sin and darkness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him, just as God told me it would happen. Jesus is the Son of God. John saw the light. And it was the substance of his proclamation, his testimony. 
The third thing that I want to point out in chapter one before we get into our text is that sharing the light is the substance of the testimony. It's the purpose of the testimony. It's our mission. Those who see Jesus bear witness to the light that has been revealed to them. They pass the torch, so to speak, to others with indeed questioning darkness. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. We have found the Messiah. This is the substance of our testimony. On day three, John goes to two more test on to two more testimonies when he calls his first disciples. John the Baptist is standing with his disciples when Jesus walked by, and he points to him and he says to his followers, Behold the Lamb of God. Two of John the Baptist's disciples heard him. John, so we assume, though he doesn't name himself, and Andrew. And they followed Jesus. Well, on their way, Jesus turned around. What do you seek? <laughs> no doubt full of questions. Their bewildered response suggests that they would need some time to ask all of them. They ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? And it reveals two things to us. One, even though it's a respectful uh, comment, Rabbi falls a little short of behold the lamb. They have not yet seen. And secondly, with all of their questions, it's going to take a lot of time. Jesus' response to the question is marvelous. And it is the answer that he gives us today in response to questions that are behind our questions. Come and see. In other words, you want to see, come and see. Here again, there's being found and there's finding and there's light and there's testimony. What followed, Andrew went and found his brother Simon to share the subject of his testimony. We have found the Messiah. And Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, invited him to come and see. In turn, Simon brought his questions to the light. And Jesus revealed himself again by uh, surprising Simon with answers before he could even ask. I know you are Simon, son of John. You're going to have a new name. It's going to be Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. Simon sees the light. If you think back in that prologue in John, Simon is reborn, as we know, because he gets a new name and a new purpose. It's like Abram and Jacob, who become Abraham and Israel. He now has a purpose and a future. And that purpose and future is to bear witness, to give a testimony of what's been revealed to him. In John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, we find ourselves on day four of this litany of testimony in the beginning of Jesus calling his disciples. The beginning of this movement that now has essentially covered every continent of the globe and to which a quarter of the world's population 
claims to be a part. On day four, Jesus, like Andrew, Simon, and John, went about, with, with likely with uh, Andrew, Simon, and John, went about 20 miles from Bethany to Galilee, as far as you could go in a day. And twice more, we find these hallmarks of testimony. First, Jesus found Philip from Bethsaida, which means the house of fish. It's on the north bank, of course, of the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishermen. It's also the hometown of Simon and Andrew, so we know that they're friends. Philip didn't come looking for Jesus. The light went looking for Philip, and he found him. Jesus extended to him an invitation, follow me. Something that Jesus will say about 20 more times in the Gospel of John and even more in the other Gospels. More than a hiking trip, it's an invitation to come and see. And an invitation to discipleship, to remain. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. It's that sort of an invitation. Philip saw the light, and he found Jesus. Like John the Baptist and Andrew and Simon and John, he had an epiphany. Having found the source and encountered the substance, like Andrew and Simon and Philip, perpetuates the pattern of testimony. He finds Nathaniel, his friend from a nearby town of Cana. You know, Cana, the place we're going to be in the next chapter when all the magic starts to happen. With whom to express the subject. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Well, it's really interesting. Um, the, the testimonies to this point, there's not a lot of content. There's not a lot of back and forth. There are a lot of conversation. But here we go from the beginnings of testimonies to testimonies that grow on testimonies and building of testimony. Our testimonies are laid on top of other testimonies, the testimonies of the people who brought us to see Jesus. And Nathaniel's uh, response seems to take a justifiable skeptical return, uh, turn when he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth doesn't make sense um, to him because you know, it's kind of a nearby town of no repute, like Fort Mill or Waxhaw, you know, some of the places you all live. Um, Joseph is a father of no importance. You know, after the first couple of chapters in which, uh, in which Jesus and Mary and Joseph are together, Joseph just drops into obscurity. Joseph was a man with a secret. A man who at one time wanted to divorce his wife or stone her to death because she was pregnant and he was not the father. At this point, who knows? At best, he's keeping a very low profile, and at worst, he's already dead. Law and prophets foretell the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, the city of David. Nathaniel did not know that Jesus was born there, only that he was from Nazareth. How could he? Be the Messiah. Having found Nathaniel and shared his testimony, Philip, like John the Baptist, like Andrew, extended this invitation, come and see. You're trapped. 
and darkness of questions. Come to the light and get your questions answered. Nathaniel comes to see, and he does get an answer, the answer to the question. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus' comment, I would point out, is surprising for this reason. Israel by this time is apostate. It's It's a religion of outward appearance that doesn't tell the truth about the inward condition of a person's heart. A true Israelite is not a hypocrite, not pretending to virtues outwardly to conceal vices inwardly. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. A true Christian is one inwardly, in the heart, by the Spirit, believing the Scriptures, obeying the law, trusting God, giving a testimony. Not perfect, not sinless, but genuine, honest, humble, and penitent. What you see on the outside with Nathaniel tells the truth about what is on the inside. How could he know? Jesus catches Nathanael by surprise by shining a light, not on the exterior, but on the interior of who he is, revealing what only Nathanael would know. Jesus answered, before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How could he see him? Can Jesus see from Bethsaida all the way to Cana? How could he see him before Philip found him? Philip hadn't found him yet. They didn't know where he was. It didn't make practical sense. But what Jesus reveals is that he's not only aware at all times and in all places where we are in time and space and circumstances. More extraordinary He saw Nathanael inwardly. He knew that Nathanael was wrestling with questions. Jesus knew him fully. I think we can draw some great comfort from that this morning. We are known fully. We're not known on the exteriors only. We're known on the interior completely. In verse 49, Nathanael has an epiphany and finds the substance of his testimony. Rabbi, great one, you're my teacher. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. In radical contrast to Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, what good can come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel's questions have been transformed to the subject of testimony. And just like the other four who came with questions and found Jesus, he finds the one that Moses and the prophets foretold, God's promise fulfilled. Jesus responds to Nathaniel, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Jesus seems to be saying, You're so easily convinced. Your faith is based on something remarkably small. 
You know very little of me. You haven't seen anything yet. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus is quoted as saying, truly, truly, 25 times. And each time, he's referring to something serious and something amazing. You will see amazing things. You will see. Jesus pulled back the curtain, and Jesus' invitation to Nathaniel to come and see is not just an invitation to be fully known, but an invitation to fully know. This elaboration of testimony is the elaboration of our testimony. We've been invited to come and see, not just so that everything about us can be revealed, but that he can reveal everything about himself to us. On to Nathaniel's epiphany, Jesus is adding even more. Like he does with Simon, calling him Peter, rock, but even more. With reference to Genesis chapter 28, Jesus puts Nathanael into Jacob's story, into Israel's story. Jacob, the lying, thieving patriarch who stole a birthright, but who God changed, whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God. Jesus put Nathanael into Jacob's story after Jacob, deceitfully stealing his brother's birthright, fled into hiding from Beersheba to Haran at night when it was dark. And when he took a stone and put it under his head for a pillow and began to dream. In darkness, God spoke to him and he beheld a ladder reaching from earth to heaven with the angels of God ascending and descending. It says... In Genesis 28, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which I, you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And in you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What Jesus is doing with Nathanael is he's appropriating the story of Jacob to Nathanael. If you hear it for yourself this morning, he's appropriating the story of Jacob to you. All of these things, this promise of making you the father of nations and spreading it out all over the world, it's the product of our testimony. It's the subject of what we share with others. The old promises are for you. I am going to fulfill my promise, Jesus is saying. And he does even more. He reveals even more to Nathaniel in this statement. He says, he is the stairway. The son of man on whom angels ascend and descend. Here too, Jesus appropriating Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, which he uses to refer to himself about 80 times in scripture. 
like Jacob saw in the night vision, one will come like a son of man with the clouds, to who was given dominion, glory, and an everlasting kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Jesus is the way between heaven and earth. And John, if you're reading John, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the light. <laughs> it's the I am, great I am statements of John uh, in John from Jesus are mostly statements about being a door and a gate and a way. He's the light. Nathaniel will not merely believe because he is fully known, but through the full revelation of Jesus to him and to us. What bearing does all this have on us today? Is it still relevant? Is it relevant because Jesus is still alive and active in the church? The light source in today's dark times is the same as it was yesterday. And it's the same as it will be tomorrow. The substance is the same. Jesus is inviting us today to come and see and be transformed, to have an epiphany. The source and the substance and the subject are all the same. Our mission is the same. It's to bear witness. It's to give a testimony. It's to proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the only message that matters today. There's a web of questions that must be answered in these dark times. It's a web that ensnares and entangles. But for those who have been delivered from darkness, we've been reborn to be light bearers. Are we? Are we bearing the light? Is there a testimony among us? Is there a testimony flowing out from us? If I pray, as I prayed about this morning's sermon, I've wondered more and more what these times must be like for our children. They're like little amplifiers, receiving and projecting emotions but unequipped to reason with the will through the barrage of overheard, worrisome conversations from all directions. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have all this media. We didn't have all these sources of information flowing at us all the time. Now you can't escape it. I don't know how we would have borne up against it. What testimony do we have to share with them? What testimony are we sharing with them? How do we equip and protect them in these dark times? How do we keep them from becoming hopelessly bound up in the complex web of questions? 
think in trying to answer this question for myself, I thought about the people who were there that invited me to come and see, that shared their testimony with me. Not a testimony of great seeking and finding and courage on their part, but a testimony of discovering their need for Christ. A humble testimony of necessity. How they were weak and hurting and in pain and struggling. And Jesus appeared and brought to their hearts light and hope. How do we speak into the darkness and the web of questions that they have? Church, we have a mission and a purpose, and they are it. They and all those around us who don't know Christ and are trapped, entangled in darkness. People who have seen the light. If what people see on the outside of us is true on the inside, they will have some sense of the epiphany that we've experienced in coming to see Christ. We exist in advance on the light of testimony. And Jesus says, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 14, and I'll end here, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to light all in the house. Who's in your house? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We are that city. It's not a city or a nation in darkness, but a city of light and testimony. How would we be here without the testimony? Who said to you, come and see? To whom are you saying, come and see? We're not a city built on doubt and a web of complex questions. We're a church established on the light, the cornerstone upon which all testimonies are laid with a plumb line of Jesus Christ.